0: Hello and welcome to The Forge. My name is James and this is the place where I teach verse by verse through the Bible. I am a retired U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant who went on to serve the Lord's Church as an assistant pastor, worship leader, and youth pastor. During my time in these roles, I finished seminary and I hold a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies and a Master of Divinity. I've been involved in ministry in some form for over 25 years, and it is my hope that this podcast will be a blessing to you as I teach from God's Word, the Bible. Forge exists to serve those whom the Holy Spirit is calling into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is done through biblical teaching so that individuals understand God's forgiveness, live in its reality, and overcome the wounds caused by bondage to sin. I will always hold to the truth found in scriptures, and a summary of my doctrinal statement is worded perfectly in the five solas of the Reformation. I believe Christians experience gratefulness and renewed purpose as they are encouraged by the words of life which spring from the Bible. I pray that this podcast plays a role in God's ongoing work in your life. Don't forget to look in the show notes for links to the podcast website where you can leave a donation or leave a voice message with questions. I will be collecting questions for a future Q&A podcast. Also, please leave a review on whatever platform you are using. That and telling others about this podcast are the two biggest things you can do for me. Now grab your Bible and get ready for a verse-by-verse study. May God bless the reading and the hearing of His Word. Hello again, and welcome to the next exciting episode of The Forge. I'm super glad you are here, and I want to say thanks. I am able to track where, geographically speaking, this podcast is being heard. I don't know if I've ever shared that with you. In fact, I'm pretty sure I have not. And I'm able to also see how many listeners or rather how many listens, actually, each individual listen that I have. And I have had listens in India, the UK, Australia, Germany, and South Africa, as well as the U.S. I have a small audience, to be sure. I'm not under any delusion here that I'm setting the world on fire, (laughs) but I am positive that God has those He wants listening to The Forge podcast. And it is my hope that this podcast is a blessing and an encouragement to God's people, no matter where you are on His planet Earth. So with that small introduction out of the way, let's begin reading at Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28, the word of God. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan-Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away And he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take himself a wife from there and that he blessed him and gave him a charge, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother, and had gone to Padan Aram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael, and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nabajoth, To be his wife, in addition to the wives he had. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he laid down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached into heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth You shall be spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of the city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and the stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. As far as the reading of God's word, may he bless both the reading and the hearing of it. So from the very beginning of this chapter, we should notice the blessing which Jacob receives. This is a blessing which he would have received without the deception that we had in the previous chapter. This blessing had nothing to do with the birthright or a blessing for the elder son. It was a blessing based on three things. Did you happen to notice those three things? First, it was to go out and find a wife from within the family. Second, it was based on God's promise to Abraham. And third, and notice this, it was obedience to parents. In other words, Jacob was to obey the command of his father. So you see in verses one and two, there is this command that is given to Jacob by his father, Isaac. And what follows in verses three and four, it is prophecy and it is blessing. And this should sound familiar to us as we read it. Because remember that Genesis 24 was where Abraham made his servant promise that Isaac's wife was to be selected from Abraham's country and Abraham's family. You remember that story? How that Abraham sent his servant, who I believe was Eleazar, to the land to find a wife and her name was Rebekah, and bring that wife back to be married to Isaac. You see, Abraham did not want Isaac to take a wife from among the Canaanites. And now we see this same pattern being repeated here. Isaac did not want his son Jacob to take a wife from the Canaanites either. So Isaac sends Jacob to the house of Bethuel. This is Laban who is Jacob's uncle. Now remember, Laban is Rebekah's brother. The blessing and the prophecy that are given in verses 3 and 4 are significant in that they directly link Jacob now to the Abrahamic covenant. In other words, the promises and the covenant that were Abraham's are now being passed on from isaac to jacob and this covenant is mentioned all the way back if you remember all the way back into genesis chapter 17 and here we are in genesis 28 where if you count all uh three we are the third generation away from that we are you know there were first there was ad uh, i'm sorry abraham then there was isaac and now we're at jacob You know, like I said, we started in Genesis 17 with this promise. Now here we are in Genesis 28. Why is this significant? Well, it's significant because it shows that God fulfills his promises when he has destined it to be so. And not one moment before. (laughs) He's not early and he's not late. He is right on time. So we should also note here that Rebekah had promised her son Jacob that any curse which was to come upon him for being deceitful when they were deceiving Isaac, that any curse that was coming his way would be upon her. Yet here we find that it is Jacob who is being sent away, not Rebekah, his mother, but Jacob is being sent away. It's Jacob who is known as a deceiver, not Rebecca. So I tell you, anybody who thinks that the Bible is boring or it's, uh, you know, whatever, it's kind of old fashioned, it doesn't have anything current or normal in it, uh, they simply have not read the Bible because we've got plots. We've got deception. We have banishment. We have multiple wives going on. We've got favoritism within the family and much, much, much more. And again, I would remind you that God uses these people for his purposes. And it's interesting and it's powerful and it's encouraging really to find that their faults and their failures are written in God's word and God's word will never pass away. And their actions are recorded here for all time, and dare I say, even into eternity future. So I want to bring that to your attention because you might think, well, I'm a failure. My life is a mess. I've got my faults. I'm not perfect. I'm not holy. I'm not righteous. There's no way that I could be used by God. Well, I would encourage you, read about the people who are recorded in Scripture, and what you find is you find humans, you find people with sin in their heart, mind, in their life, you find all of these things we just mentioned, and yet God used them. In spite of these things, we find that God is a merciful God. He is a God of grace. Certainly, He is a God of wrath. He is a God of rules and law that must be complied with. Our God is indeed a jealous God. But when we fall, when we make mistakes, what is God looking for? A broken and contrite heart. Someone who would come to Him and say, Lord, I am broken. I blew it again. I messed up. I need your forgiveness. I need your help. I cannot do what you have called me to do without you. I need the empowerment that comes with the Holy Spirit. So I want to make one last comment here about verse 4. I use the New King James Version. Or teaching and for preaching. There's lots of reasons for that. Maybe at some future podcasts I'll get into why I have been drawn to the New King James Version. But occasionally I'll use another translation to help me clarify the meaning of words. And we must remember, friends, that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. It was not written in English, Victorian English or Modern English. And so when you're reading the Bible, you are reading a translation of an original language. So there is a version called the English Standard Version, the ESV, and it translates verse 4. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings, That God gave to Abraham. Now the phrase here in the ESV, take possession, is the same phrase in the New King James Version, which is translated, you may inherit. You may inherit. So there is a verb here in Hebrew, which is declined as what we call call infinitive. So what does that mean? Well, it means that in this particular context, that the land, which is an inheritance, which was promised to Abraham, is going to go down through Isaac and to Jacob, that this inheritance must be taken by force. So there where it says you may inherit, you could actually Translate that another way to say take possession or even stronger to take possession of the land, which is your inheritance by force. So the whole idea here in the blessing and in the prophecy is that indeed Jacob is a partaker in the Abrahamic covenant, but that the land of the covenant will be at some future time taken by force. So how does that impact the rest of our story? How does that impact what we've read already in the past? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 15, let's remember Genesis chapter 15 and in verse 16, it says, but in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And so, in case you don't remember, in this particular part of our narrative, God was telling Abraham what Abraham's descendants would be doing in the future. And God gives a reason that it's not going to happen right now. What does he say? He states, the iniquity of the amorites is not yet complete and that word iniquity used to concern me because i really and truly i didn't understand what it meant and what we have there with the word iniquity it certainly is sin against god but there's a meaning there with that word of lawlessness in other words there is no law and not so much that there really isn't a law of the land but we are not going to obey God's law. So God is saying that at some point in the future, a future from the time that he is speaking with Abraham, that the Amorites' lawlessness, their sin before God will reach a point of completeness. Now, if we take a glance ahead and we haven't read this part yet, and maybe someday we will get there. It is my goal that we will get there. But if you look in the book of Exodus, you read in chapter 23, there's this individual who appears on the scene and he is known as the angel of the Lord. An angel there is capitalized and he is going to go before the descendants of Jacob. Now this is in the future from where we are now in our narrative. And Jacob is now known as the nation of Israel in the book of Exodus. And he, God, this angel of the Lord in capital, uh, letters, angel of the Lord, that he will go in and cut off the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. That's a lot of ites. (laughs) But the phrase cut off there means that God will destroy them. So consider, if you will, that there are no longer nations made up of these people groups today. Yet we know that historically they actually did exist what does that tell us that tell us that that tells us that god did in fact mete out his judgment upon these nations for their iniquity you can't go to a place in the world today and find someone who says i'm a canaanite why is that because god used israel to exact his judgment on these nations for their iniquity and sin against him. So at a time yet, from where we are in the narrative, yet in the future, Jacob's descendants will take that inheritance by force. So the idea of taking the land by force as an inheritance From God, it fits perfectly here with the blessing that Isaac is actually speaking to his son Jacob. But here's where, here's what we should get out of all of this. And it's very simple God had never forgotten Jacob, and God was with Jacob always. God repeats the promises made to Abraham. And now he gives them to Jacob. Jacob was Abraham's grandson. And again, I remind you that God's promises are fulfilled on God's timetable, not your timetable, not my timetable. And so in verse six through nine, if you want to go back and take a look at that, verses six through nine. We read here that Esau notices the blessing which came to Jacob from their father. And again, I would remind you that this blessing belonged to Jacob. It has nothing to do with um, the birthright or the physical um, inheritance, the money or whatever. Uh, possessions that Isaac may have wanted to give to Esau. This is not about who's the older brother. This is about a blessing from God to Jacob because of the covenant that was made with Abraham. And so you may remember how Esau had come in after Jacob had done this act of Deception and he seeks a blessing from his father, even with tears. We're told in the scripture, crying out, But Lord, you know, but Father, isn't there a, a blessing still for me? Can't I have a blessing too? And even though I know that Esau is not God's chosen, I got to be honest with you. And sometimes <laughs> as I read these accounts, I feel genuine compassion for Esau. And then other times I read through here and I just go, it's, it's as if it's just like Esau just does not get it. He wants the blessings, but he still seeks to gain the blessings through the work of the flesh. So here we see in an act of really rivalry with his brother, Coupled with his desire for his father's approval, he takes another wife from among his relatives. And we are reminded here in verse 8 that Esau is aware that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. And it's interesting, children, even back in ancient times, even when they are in rebellion, they still want the approval of their parents. And so it is often with human beings in a spiritual sense, even in rebellion against God, they want the blessings of God. And it simply is not how it works. So Esau goes to Ishmael and takes Mahalath as a wife. Now, I know it can get kind of difficult to keep all these people straight but allow me to try to help you here. See if you can remember these people, Ishmael and Isaac are half brothers. Ishmael is the son of Abraham and Hagar. He's older than Isaac, but he's not the son of promise. Isaac is the son of Abraham and Sarah. Isaac is the son of promise. And he had Esau and Jacob. Now what we see happening at this point in the story, Esau goes to his half uncle Ishmael to marry his half cousin Mahalath. Now consider this. Ishmael is family, no doubt. He's in the family but he is the offspring of Abraham's flesh. Ishmael is the rejected, natural, fleshly offspring of Abraham. He came about from a union which was not the union that God had promised. God promised that it would be Sarah, not Hagar. It would be Sarah that would be the mother of the son of promise. So Esau, having already followed his fleshly desires, you may remember all the way back when he sold his birthright for some supper. Now he seeks his father's approval by marrying within the family, but he does so according to the flesh, not the leading of the spirit of the living God. Friends, no work of the flesh will ever please God. So, from verse 10 to the end of the chapter, we find Jacob beginning his journey to Haran. Jacob sleeps all night near a place called Luz, and God appears to Jacob in a dream. And what an interesting dream it is! Verse 12 tells us that there's a ladder from earth to heaven, and there's angels of God ascending and descending on this ladder, and some have suggested that a better translation for this would be more like a stone staircase, not so much a ladder that we think of here in the West, but a stone staircase, a stairway to heaven, if you will. And what is the purpose of this dream? Well, God reiterates his promise. He tells Jacob, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father and I, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Now, I want to point out to you here that the Bible did not get it wrong. We know that Abraham is actually the grandfather of Jacob. So when we read something like this in scripture, remember that this is common, not only in Hebrew, but in other languages and in other customs as well they will refer to the patriarch or the head of the family and they may even be one or two generations back from the person you're talking about and they will say that was his father doesn't mean that he's not the grandfather it doesn't mean you cannot trust the bible it doesn't mean there is a contradiction here it's just a manner of speaking and communicating that Jacob belongs in Abraham's house or Abraham's clan, so to speak. I cannot help but think of the Tower of Babel at this point. And you may remember that tower from Genesis chapter 11. Again, we see as we look at that Tower of Babel, man's attempt to... Reach into the heavens by means of work, the flesh, false worship in a false religious system, attempting to do what only God can do. You see, there's only one who can bridge the gap between heaven and earth. That one is Jesus Christ, the God-man. He's the one who reunites heaven and earth. He is the one who builds the stairway to heaven, if you will. John one fifty one says, Most assuredly I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. It is only through Christ He is the only mediator between God and men that we have access to the father. He is the only one. First Timothy two five says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And speaking of Jesus, Jesus, in Ephesians 2.18, the Bible says, For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. At this point, I want to call your attention to something that I found while reading the handbook on Genesis. There is an alternative alternative. Uh, meaning for the phrase the Lord stood above it when describing the dream of Jacob's ladder. The handbook suggests, and I quote from the handbook, it says some translators feel that it is necessary to emphasize for their readers that this appearance of the Lord is still within Jacob's dream. The Lord appeared in the dream and stood close to him or in that dream Jacob saw the Lord standing there and I bring this out because we see Jacob's reaction in verse 16 Jacob says surely the Lord is in this place and that implies that the Lord God of Abraham and Isaac came down that staircase because Jacob doesn't say He's still at the top of the staircase. He's still up there in heaven, but it says, surely the Lord is in this place. He's not just over the staircase looking down from heaven, but he has actually come to stand beside Jacob. I want you to think about that. Think about that. God is not distant from you, standing at the top of the staircase, somewhere off in heaven, an angry old man waiting to crush you and to destroy you. No, He has come down. The eternal Son, human flesh, He has come down to stand beside Jacob. He has come down to stand beside his people. So as we come to the end of this chapter, we find Jacob calling the place Bethel or Beth El. Beth means house, and as we've talked about it before, L E L means God. So we have Jacob calling the place, literally calling the place, the house of God. So Jacob pours oil on the stone that he used. He was ritually consecrating the stone as set apart for God. This particular stone was for God's use, and it was separated from the other stones that were probably in that area. Jacob was taking the stone that he had used for a pillow the night before, and now he is using it as a memorial to God, as if to say, this is where the Lord appeared to me. And I've been very focused on all the promises indicated in these verses, but I would also point out that here toward the end, we see Jacob attempting to play, let's make a deal with God. While Jacob makes a solemn promise to be in God's service, he is doing it, at least from his point of view, in exchange for certain wishes to be granted to him. He's saying, God, if you will be with me, I will do this for you, and I will give you a tenth of all that I have. Notice the three requests of God that Jacob is making. The first thing he says is God, if you will be with me, in other words, God, I want you to be with me. Number two, please protect me on this journey. And remember we've talked about the distances involved here. Jacob would be traveling about 500 miles one way. There's no interstate highway. There's no rest area. There's no police. There's no other emergency services. And so Jacob is asking God, protect me on this trip. Number three, give me food to eat and clothes to wear. I want you to get this. After God appears in a dream, (laughs) Promising that the covenant that he made with Abraham still stands and it's going to be fulfilled in you, Jacob. It stands for you too. Jacob is here trying to make a deal with God. And I must confess to you, I read this and I think, I wouldn't do that. Are you kidding me? He's just promised that he's going to take care of all the promises that he made to Abraham. It's all mine too. I'm not going to ask him for clothes and food and will he protect me and all that he's already said he's going to protect me i mean all those blessings are mine right and friends i would just suggest to you that what we see here is human nature what we see in the heart of jacob is in the heart of me it's in the heart of you isn't it amazing how we want to try to make a deal with god God, if you do this for me, I will do this for you. As if God needs my 10%, as if God needs my work. (laughs) The very idea that God needs me to give him something. You know, it would be better to have a heart of consecration and a heart of love for God. We are to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. So here's my closing remarks over this whole chapter. God does not need us to give to him. Why would I say such a thing? Why? Because he owns it already. Everything is his. We will never make it to God based upon our works. Now, should we give to him? Absolutely, we should. I believe in tithing. I believe it so strongly with God's help. I don't intend to ever stop tithing. I actually go to a church that is called Bethel, Bethel Christian Reformed Church. And I tithe. I share that with you, not as a boast, but just simply to say, I believe it's something that we should do. So absolutely, we should give to him. Should we work for him? Absolutely. We should work for him. There's no question about it, but these are not bargaining chips with which we can strike some kind of a deal with God. Like, Hey God, you have to do this for me. After all, I've been giving money to your church. I've been working for you. So since I've been doing that for you, you should do this for me. No friends, that's not the way this works. And we're going to see in coming chapters that Jacob has a lot to learn in this regard and by the end of Jacob's life we see a man that's broken before God. And so it should be with you and with me. Let us be humble and broken before God. The Psalmist writes in Psalm 51:17, he says, "The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Amen. Thank you again for listening to The Forge Podcast. And don't forget to leave a review with comments. Let me hear from you. Leave a voice message through the link. I hope and pray that you find ways to apply the truths of God's Word in daily living. Remember, dear Christian, you are forgiven. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. May you grow in Christ and the study of the Bible and truly overcome wounds that were caused by sinful choices and actions of the past. I also pray that you are always reforming, seeking to glorify God in all that you say and do. Remember to be grateful to God for what he is working out, not only in you, but in all his creation as well. And lastly, be encouraged encouraged to serve God and others as you grow in him.